Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Glad you guys are joining us online. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, we are going to be getting into the book of Matthew. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible, if you've got a, a second device that you can grab and you can go to Matthew 9, you can. Otherwise, um, we'll be showing all the verses on the screen. You can follow along with us. You can also, throughout the service, um, you can text. There's a question, there's a, there's a phone number that's going to show up at the bottom here. You can text questions, and, um, and at the end of service, we're going to have a little time post-service where we'll do a little answering, some Q&As. But before we get into Matthew 9, I wanted to give you an update. Last Sunday, if you were here for Easter last Sunday, we launched this, um, we announced this new thing that we're calling the Acts 2 Initiative. And just to give you a little recap, if you didn't hear about it, the idea is that um, we as um, a church and as leadership have been trying to wrestle with, trying to figure out what does it look like uh, for the church to be the church in this season? And so we've tried a couple different things, and this is one of those things that we're pursuing is that um, when you look to Acts 2, it tells the story of the early church. And uh, right at the beginning, one of the things it says is that they... um, uh, that they had everything in common and that no one went without was basically what it says in Acts 2. And uh, that they basically, they provided for one another. When someone else had a need, they would sell something and they provide for one another. And it was this kind of living out of what Jesus said, um, that they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So as a leadership, we made a commitment that um, in combination with that and with following also the words of Jesus, that we're going to trust him today and allow him to take care of tomorrow, uh, that tomorrow has enough worries of its own, that um, we have committed that we are going to um, take all the money above, we reduced our budget for the next six months to save about $70,000. We're going to take everything in excess above our expenses for the month of April. We're not going to worry about May. We're not going to worry about the summer. We're not going to worry about September, what's going to happen in the fall, or a year-long budget. We're going to take what we need for the month of April. We're going to pay our bills for the month of April. And everything else that comes in over the top, we're going to set aside into a fund that we are going to use to bless and support and encourage families in our church who've been affected uh, by the pandemic financially. And um, I have some crazy news Okay, uh, you may have gotten the email on Friday. We announced it on Easter, which was the 12th of April. And on the 15th of April, four days later, three days, four days, however you want to do the math, by the 15th of April, halfway through the month, we had already exceeded our budgeted needs for the month. I mean, I'll just tell you, in, in like an unprecedented rate, uh, we exceeded. So now, starting on Wednesday through the end of the month, whatever comes in, um, which is already beginning to accumulate, is going to go to this Acts 2 initiative to begin to fund. And I just have to say, I am humbled um, and grateful that I get to be a part of a church like this that responds like that. Because it wasn't one person's check. It wasn't one person who wrote a big donation. It was a lot of people who gave above and beyond so that we could, so we could get ourselves funded, so that we could fund extravagant generosity, irrational generosity. And, and I just, I just want to say I'm thankful uh, that I get to be a part of this body as well. And thank you for so many of you. that I mean, there was, there was one family... Um, there was one family who, who took the check that they got from the government on Wednesday and wrote the whole amount right to the church. 
I mean, I, it's just the stories already of people's generosity and people's willingness to, um, to live out the words of Jesus, that they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another is uh, amazing and humbling and incredible and beautiful. And so I'm so grateful for your generosity. Um, so today we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 9. Um, Matthew 9, there's been this interesting conversation that I've had through emails and text messages and, and Facebook messenger that's happened quite a bit. And, and people ask this question of like, what do we do as a church? It's kind of the same thing that bore out the Acts 2 initiative was, what can I do uh, to continue to be involved in the ministry of the church, the expansion of the kingdom of God um, in a time when everything feels like it's, it's receding, right? Everything has to kind of be pulled back. You know, we, eight days ago, eight days ago would have been the greatest day of my life. We would have dumped 20,000 Easter eggs out of a helicopter and we didn't get to. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that because that's forever on video now and my kids are going to get older and have to go. Uh, anyways, um, but the, the, you know, there have been things we've had to kind of pull back and we've talked about as a staff that we in like some weird ways have almost had to eliminate like 90% of the way that people have been involved in serving their God um, through Monmouth Christian Church because we can't do rooted, we can't do small groups, we can't do community service events. We have all these things that we um, in this season can't do. And so the questions come up often and people have often sent me messages and said, hey, if there's anything I can do, if there's any way, because you know I've been really involved and, and, and I want to be involved and I want to see the kingdom of God continue to grow and, and, um, and through God's, God's um, just beautiful providence, right? Just through God's gift, we come to, 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 to Matthew 9 today, to this passage. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 9, there's four stories. I'm just going to sum them up for you, and then we're going to look at them more in detail in verses. But there's four stories, but they're actually uh, thematically, they're trying to make the same point twice. So there's two stories that we're going to focus on the first two stories, and then the same theme actually repeats itself in the second set of healings, and actually all four of these stories are preparing themselves for Matthew 11, which is going to come, we're going to get to in probably June, Matthew 11. They're all preparing themselves because Matthew's telling a story, and there's this whole arc of things that are going on. But Matthew 9, we get these stories. We're going to look at the first two stories today. Of um, Matthew calls him a Jewish ruler or synagogue leader or ruler. The other gospels tell us his name. They, they say his name is Jairus. And then this woman who the, the, the text uses phrases like has an issue of bleeding. Now, we don't really know what that means, there's a lot of things that could be associated with bleeding. You've probably heard a common uh, theory, but it, it could have been ulcers in her stomach that caused her to um, cough up or throw up blood often. It could have been issues with her lungs. Um, the, the, it could have been open sores that bled. There could be a lot of things, right? So, but we have these two stories of this, this man named Jarius, and he comes to Jesus he comes to Jesus to ask him to heal his daughter, right? And he, and he says, if you'd come and if you'd just touch her, if you'd heal her, eventually we find out that she's actually dead and, and that, that Jesus raises her from the dead. But if you would come and just touch her, right? And as he's going to go heal this Jewish leader's daughter, this woman who has this issue of bleeding, 
sees Jesus and believes in her heart so desperately that if she could just touch Jesus, that he would heal her. Now, it tells us in one of the other accountings of the story that she'd been bleeding for 12 years, and she'd gone to a lot of other people to try and get healed, and she just, nothing ever happened. She never could, right? That, that every time she'd go, it, it says, actually, I think it's in Mark, it says that it just got worse. But she believes that if she could get herself close enough to Jesus to touch him, that he would heal her. See, these two stories, I think, are God's gift to us in this season that tell us exactly what we can and should be doing as a church in this season. The first one that I, I want to look at and focus on is, is the woman. Think of her heart and her pleas and her cries and her desperation. This is what it tells us in the script. Well, let's just look. Matthew 9, verse 20. It says this. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, Matthew 9, verse 20. May, oh, there we go. It says this. Um, a woman who'd been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Here's the important verse in verse 21. For she was saying to herself... If I only touch his garment, I will get well. For she was saying to herself, if only I can touch his garment, I'll get well. You know, um, this whole pandemic thing and everything shutting down and social isolation and all that kind of stuff, it, it's been weird and painful and difficult for a lot of us. And it's been um, exhausting for a lot of us. And it's been uncomfortable for a lot of us. And one of the reasons I think it is, is the same reason that throughout the Bible, almost always the wilderness is seen as a gift. You see, a lot of times when we think about, when we think of stories of the Bible and the wilderness is um, like Jesus going out and to be tempted in the wilderness, but first he spends 40 days alone with the Lord, with the, with the, with the Father. When we think of like the Exodus and, and the Hebrew people who are um, stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And we, we think, oh, it's a punishment that they have to be in the wilderness, but it's actually refining. And in fact, if you look at the beginning of the story, what's the request that Moses has him go to the Pharaoh to ask is that he could take his people into the wilderness, like, that's God's plan initially. Even before they rebel, even before they reject him, he's leading them into the wilderness because the wilderness, isolation, absence of the busyness of this world is a place where the chaos of this world is silenced so we can deal with the brokenness of our soul. See, I have adamantly believed for years that many of us have used and justified the busyness of this world to self-medicate, to never have to deal with the own brokenness and pain we feel in our hearts. And in this season, where we can't busy ourselves with more sporting events, with more sports center, with more hobbies, with more vacations, with more hikes, with more trips, with overworking ourselves at work, when we can't busy ourselves with a busy schedule, we have to sit alone, in, S, in, a, in a sense, in a, in a desert, and deal with our own hearts. And I think that many of us have found ourselves like this woman, 
who found ourselves broken and needy and wanting and the ache that we experience. Some of the ache is because of the social separation and not being able to see people and hug people. But some of it is that we can no longer silence our brokenness with busyness. And you know what the woman does? In her desperation, in her brokenness, consumed with hopelessness, you know what the woman does? She says to herself, if I can only touch Jesus, he'll make me well. The first thing that we need to be doing as a church in this season, everything's shutting down, our comforts and our securities, maybe it's your paycheck, it was a security, was a comfort blanket, has been stripped away, has been reduced. Maybe your busyness was self-medicating. But the first thing that we need to do in the season of absolute chaotic change is to carry ourselves to the foot of Jesus because he is the only one who can heal our brokenness. The silence amplifies the pain of our brokenness. So I'd encourage you, what 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 is it? Like maybe maybe it's acted itself out in you being irritable. Maybe it's acted itself out in, in in you having confrontation with your spouse. Maybe it's acted it out in you just being stir crazy and having a hard time just sitting still. But what is it in your soul that can no longer be self-medicated with the noise and the busyness of this world that needs to be dropped at the foot of Jesus? You know, um, desperation, desperation can actually really be a gift. Desperation initially leads to despair, which this woman experienced. For 12 years, she experienced despair, but her desperation led to her healing. And then this morning, if you find yourself, if today you find yourself desperate, you are a prime candidate, you're right in the place that God might bring healing because it's only when we're desperate enough to be honest with ourselves and with our God, to fight through the crowd, to fight through all the social norms, to fight through all the, the resistance, to say, if I can just get myself to Jesus. And so I, I want to ask you this. I, I want to I encourage you to be honest with yourself. In this season, are you using the season of chaos and confusion and fear and worry to push in closer to Jesus? Are you allowing your life to be dictated all the more by the fear? Are you fighting in to Jesus? Are you taking, maybe, maybe in all the things that are canceled, you have all this extra free time, and it's what's making you go stir crazy. Maybe you have all this extra time with your kids and it's what's making you go stir crazy. Are you taking those opportunities of those quiet times, of the extra times, of the extra family meals, of sitting around and sharing life and speaking truth in your spouse and love in your spouse and, 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 and discipling and caring for and searching out the heart of your spouse and your children in these quiet times? The woman is a great example of what we can do in the midst of our despair, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of fear, is to press in and chase after Jesus alone. But it requires us to leave some things behind. 
it requires us to lay some things down. So the question, one of the questions and one of the things that we should be in constant pursuit of as a church and as individuals today is what is it that you need to lay at the foot of the cross? It's in fact, it's always the call of Jesus to leave something behind. It's always the call of Jesus. Like following Jesus, the act of repenting is, is you're going this direction and if you're gonna repent from something, you're gonna turn and go the opposite direction. That's literally what it means, that you're going one direction and you're gonna leave and go the other direction. It's an acknowledgement that you were on the wrong path but you have to turn and leave. When Jesus calls people to follow him, it's the same thing. It's an acknowledgement that they were going on the wrong path, but Jesus says, come follow me, and they turn. He says to some of the disciples, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, right? They were doing something that they weren't supposed to, and in this season, God is giving us a gift to leave the things that we've, that we've falsely found hope and confidence in, and to turn and trust and believe. In fact, right before this in Matthew 9, it's the call that he gives to Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 9, he says this. Uh, Matthew, when he's actually recording his own following of Jesus, it says this in Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. He left, he turned from the direction he'd been going to follow Jesus. We have an opportunity in this moment to maybe see more clearly the things that have been idols in our hearts and to come and lay them at the foot of Jesus. The second thing is Jairus' story. The first thing that we should be doing as church in the season, as individuals in the season, is being honest with our heart and our own brokenness and allowing the silence, the desert of the season, to expose to us our brokenness, our addiction, our false hopes, and our idols. And to come trusting and believing that Jesus is the only one who can bring healing to us. The second thing is this, is Jarius, I love Jarius' story. It says this in verse 18 um, of Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 18, it says, while he was saying these things, being Jesus, to them, a synagogue official, tells us elsewhere his name is Jairus, came and bowed down before him. Now, you can just pause for a second. This doesn't mean that he worshiped him. It's, it's an act of submission, of homage, of saying, you're a man of superior power and might over kind of a local synagogue. Uh, a synagogue was like a local church, right? It wasn't the temple. It wasn't the, the main center, but it was these outcroppings of worship. So he's a synagogue official. He comes and bows down before him, and he said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Here's, here's what I love about Jairus' story. Jairus doesn't come on behalf of himself. Did you see that? Right? Jairus comes for his daughter. He searches out and travels. We don't know how far he goes, but he travels to find Jesus on behalf of his daughter. Because he doesn't come to Jesus asking that Jesus would heal him. He comes to Jesus asking that Jesus would heal, would restore, would bring life to his daughter. You see, uh, this is actually our job to come on behalf of another before our God and beseech him that he might bring life to him. First Peter, he tells it this way. In First Peter 2, verse 9, it says this. Um, First Peter 2, 9 says, 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Look at that word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We as the church have been called God's plan, God's choice for the way he's going to enact his mission in this world is to recruit a bunch of priests. You see, the job of a priest is to be a mediator, to stand in between God and the people of this world, to be the the conduit through which God's grace might be dispensed in this world, but also the role of the priest was to go on behalf of the broken the world, all of us, and, con- and, and contest and plead and advocate before the throne of God. You see, our job as a church is to be that conduit that sits between God and this world that shows the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the restoration. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, um, he says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. God has entrusted that to us. He He has said that the way I'm going to bring reconciliation in this world is through his church, through his priests through people who would come and show the world what grace and mercy and kindness and beauty and goodness and hope and joy look like, but also, right, that, that we may claim his excellency of him who's called out of darkness and his marvelous light, like that's our job, but also the job of a priest was to go and advocate for the broken before God. You see, this is what Jarius does. He goes to Jesus and he pleads with him to come that his daughter might have life. He, he goes to Jesus and he says, please, I don't need anything from you, right? I've experienced the, 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 the um, excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. It's not for me, but we are called to be a priest who go and advocate before the throne of God on behalf of the broken that he might bring life and hope and joy and restoration and mercy and goodness and life to them. That God, if you would just touch them, they would come to life. God, if you would just touch my child, she will breathe again. And we as the church are to be the Jairuses of this world. That we might go before our God and say, God, if you would just touch them, they would breathe life again. You see, in the midst of this quarantine, our mission has not changed. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a world full of fear, our calling has not changed. Matthew 28, he says this, Matthew 28, you probably know it, you've probably seen it. Matthew 28 says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus speaking. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Everything that exists, authority over everything. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the nation of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our calling as a church to be mediators of God's grace into a broken world and to be advocates on behalf of the broken before good and kind and holy God has not changed. Now, it looks different. And it's not as easy as we once thought it was, but maybe in this season, it's a gift. A gift to be the kind of priest that God's called us to be, to be people who advocate on behalf of the broken and go before the Lord and say, Lord, if you would only touch them, you could bring life to them. You see, I think the greatest power of what we can always do, but is amplified in this moment, is be advocates in prayer. If we believe the words that we have inscribed in our latte lobby that says, as Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That you might have life and that you have it abundantly. If we believe those words, if we believe that Jesus is hope and life and restoration, then even in a distance, even when we can't be around him, maybe the greatest gift and greatest ministry we can have as a church is to be advocates just as Jairus and go before our God, go before our Father and say, God, if you would just touch them, if you would just touch them, you can bring them life. You know, we, we have not been removed of the power that God has entrusted us just because we can't be around each other. God wants you to be a kingdom of priests, an advocate for the broken at the foot of the throne, fighting just as Jairus did for his daughter. You know, there's another passage where it talks about how we should pray. It's a really weird passage. Because it says there's this woman who's been done wrong, and she goes before this judge, and it says that the judge is a wicked judge, which is a weird illustration, but Jesus is trying to amplify the point, because the judge is supposed to be illustrative of our relationship with God, right? Obviously, God isn't wicked, but he's saying even if the judge is full of wickedness, okay, here's the point. And she goes before him, and she goes before him, and she goes before him, and then he says, eventually the judge will relent just so that she'll stop coming and just so she'll stop ignoring him. God has given us this gift. Be a kingdom of priests who day in and day out go before the throne of God and fight for the broken and the hurting before him. If you would just touch them, that you might bring life. So in the season, in the season of silence, in the season of cancellations, in the season of space, in the season of isolation. Who will you pray for? Who will you be an advocate for? Who will you go day in and day out, just as the widow before the wicked judge? God, you can do it. If you touch them, you can bring healing. You can bring life to their weary soul. You can restore what is broken. You can redeem them. You can use what's been going on for, for your glory and for their good. You can do that, God. Who? Who will you go for? You see, Jesus would have never walked to Jairus' house to touch his daughter and bring life to a broken and dead soul. 
if it had not been for Jairus who left his house to go plead with a God of mercy and kindness and power. And so who will you? Who will you leave your house for to go before the kingdom of, king, king of this world, king of all creation, and to plead and to fight for? So this morning, if you come in like the woman, just tired and busted and broken and wore out, would you hear the words of Jesus? He says in, in, Mar- in Matthew 11, a couple of chapters later, he says these really beautiful words. That if you like the woman come weary and exhausted and tired, he says this in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Like, like, forget the rest of this. Like, isn't that like some of the most beautiful words? Isn't that a beautiful invitation? That the God that we worship is not angry with you, wanting to destroy you, but he wants to give you rest. He sent his son, he gave his one and only son on our behalf, that if he'd give his son for you, what more will he not give? His invitation to you this morning is if you're weary, and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this morning, if you come into this gathering like that woman, exhausted and desperate, would you know that Jesus is inviting you to find rest in him? If this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe the best thing we can do is end with this quote from Rick Warren. I've said it before, but I still love it, so I'm going to tell it to you again. Rick Warren has this really great quote, and he says this. Um, there are two things you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven. Sin and tell people about Jesus. Which do you think God left you here for? Our mission hasn't changed. Maybe today it's going to look a lot more like Jarius going before the throne room of God and just advocating for the broken in your life, for those who are wandering away, for those who are full of addiction and remorse and shame and darkness and fear and a feeling of unworthiness. But our mission has not changed. For we are the, the conduit which God has chosen to demonstrate his excellency and his goodness and his grace and mercy to all creation. We are called to be a priesthood of believers. So today, who will you go before the throne room of God on behalf of? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning so many of us weary and tired. So many of us come this morning aching and exhausted and burnt out and tapped out and emotionally spent. And all the things that we used to find comfort in and find security and find relaxation in have been robbed from us. And we come to you this morning just tired. Lord, would we 
know, would we feel, would we experience, would we believe, would you do in us what you promised in Matthew 11 to give rest to our weary souls? Lord, for those of us in, in, here that are followers of you, Lord, this morning, would you give us the gift, as uncomfortable and painful it is, to remove our eyes from ourselves, that we might be reminded that you've given us a gift, you've given every single one of us a ministry, that you have called us to be a conduit of your grace and mercy to a broken world. Would we be a kingdom of priests? Would we be advocates of the broken before the throne of God, just as Jairus was for his daughter, that you might bring life and healing? Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In a moment, we're gonna sing, at least in this room, we're gonna sing as an act of worship. And I'd invite you to join with us. It may seem unnatural or uncomfortable sitting in your living room. You don't get to hear the other voices. One of the things that I love imagining and encourage people with every week when we gather together in person is, is just the beauty and the healing and the power of being able to be in a room and, and hearing the voices of the saints sing. And maybe today we're not in the same room, but I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone that houses all around our communities are singing and worshiping and celebrating, that we're joining with all of creation, with the angels. Maybe, maybe you're not uh, gonna sing this morning, but to choose as an act of worship. Maybe you just need to kneel. Maybe you need to be a priest. Maybe you need to advocate on behalf of the broken. Maybe during this time as we sing and families all around our community sing and celebrate the goodness of God, you need to go before and advocate on behalf of someone who needs to experience life and freedom because of Jesus. Maybe you need to go in and, and lay your weary soul at the foot of the cross. Maybe you need to come before the Lord and lay your burdens at his feet. And you just need to allow the sound to reverberate throughout your house and declare the excellencies of our good God. But whatever you choose to do in this, in this moment, would you join with us as we worship? For he is good and kind and graceful in all things.